I have a privilege this morning of um, finishing off a great series we've been doing together called Get Out There. And that is just fantastic. And, and it ties in not only in terms of the, the launch of Alpha, which is coming up, which is wonderful. And you'll see all the lovely Alpha people with their beautiful Alpha t-shirts on there. Uh, that's coming up. But also, of course, what we've been doing on Monday nights, I think that's been really all part of this conversation as well. And so it's my joy uh, to finish the series off. If you've missed any of that, it's all free uh, either to listen to on podcast or to go and watch on YouTube. So please take advantage of that because it's there to help each one of us. And it's my joy for a few moments to share this. So I'm going to read a beautiful story from John chapter 4, if I can. Um, I'm a bit of a mess at the moment, so hopefully we'll get through uh, this story. It's John chapter 4, if you want to follow it with me. I'm going to read from verse 4, and we're going to read a bit of a chunk of this chapter, but it really is worth reading together and sharing together. So in the context of getting out there, we're going to see Jesus getting out there. Um, Jesus got out there in a most serious and most profound way, and John chapter 4 is a great example of that. So here we go, John's Gospel chapter 4. I'm going to start reading from verse 4, and it says this. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Nothing much has changed, has it, in our world. Very divided world. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you've no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. I like this bit. She says, sir, I can see you are a prophet. (laughs) Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. That has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman says, I know that Messiah or the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And then we have the disciples coming back and and the woman leaves. And there's a little interlude there where Jesus talks about the harvest, which is literally right in front of them. Verse 39 says this, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer just believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Wow. What a story. Jesus getting out there. John's gospel in which this beautiful story is housed begins with a glorious introduction. We sometimes refer to the introduction of John's gospel as the prologue. And the first 18 verses of John's gospel aren't just a sort of a general introduction. They're sort of giving you a bit of a framework of what's about to come. So they're giving you little clues that everything now you're about to read in the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses sort of set you up a little bit, give you the clues, give you, to put it another way, they give you the breadcrumbs to follow and grab. And one of the things that is said in the introduction in John's gospel is this. Speaking of God the Son who became human, became Jesus, says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. Come on. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then in John, it goes on to say this in verse 17. The law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Twice in the introduction to John's gospel, we have the idea that number one, Jesus came by grace and truth. So the action of Jesus coming to the world is grace and truth. But then John is hinting very strongly that everything you see now Jesus do in the gospel of John is through grace and truth. So it's two beautiful ideas together. And grace and truth sit at the heart of the person of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and the ministry of Jesus. If we come to an understanding of Jesus without understanding grace and truth, we're not getting the whole picture. John says that as he came through grace and truth, 
and everything he did was through grace and truth. Now, John, what on earth do those two things mean in a world that maybe uses these words differently to how John may have intended them? Well, it's important to us that we understand what words mean. Words are powerful. What does grace mean here? Grace, in this context of John's gospel, means the unmerited the unmerited and unconditional generosity of God to people who don't deserve it. That actually his grace is an act of favor and generosity to people who don't deserve it and sometimes even people who don't realize they need it. And here's the kicker about grace. It's unconditional. John, what does that mean? It means there are no conditions. There are no T's and C's. It's just lavish generosity. So John says Jesus comes with this lavish generosity to the world. But he doesn't just say just grace. He says truth. Now, my goodness, truth is a, is a dynamic, subjective idea. Your truth, my truth. Not necessarily the same thing. How I see the world, how you see the world can be very, very different things. So what we mustn't do is impose our definition of truth on this. We've got to try and understand what what does John mean by truth? And here's my best definition for you that I think John means. John, when he speaks of truth, as far as Jesus is concerned, is the reality as Jesus sees it. So truth in the Gospels, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke and John... Truth is not how I see it. Truth is how he sees it. And of course, we can already see that there's a, there's a dynamic tension that's now appearing. You've got, you've got this beautiful idea of grace, unmerited, unconditional generosity. That includes everybody. Everybody is welcome to the grace of God. Everyone can receive the grace of God. Everyone is entitled by God's grace to the grace of God. There's no human on planet earth right now who is excluded from the grace of God. Every human, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever they are, is included in the grace of God. But, and it's a challenging but, it's not just the inclusiveness of grace, it's the It's the power of truth as Jesus sees it. The reality is Jesus sees it. And so we're on a bit of a collision course. We've got grace that welcomes and we've got truth that challenges. We've got grace that embraces and includes. And at one level, you've also got truth that sort of excludes. Jesus welcomes me to his dinner table. That's grace. But then we have a conversation about my life and my version of my life and his version of my life might be different. And then I have a choice. Do I accept his version of my life or decide to sort of go with my version of my life? And if I go with my version of my life as opposed to his, I'm now excluding myself from the table. He hasn't excluded me. He said, John, you're welcome to my table. But if we're going to walk together, you're going to have to align with my version of truth. Come on, are you with me? Do you see the dilemma? So it's a magnificent combination. 
And, and grace alone says everything's okay, but when you say that, then nothing really is sacred. Nothing's really holy. Truth, if we're not careful, that's really about winning an argument and not really about touching a person. Truth alone makes us a bit judgmental, a bit superior, a bit up ourselves. Because if you believe you've got the truth and other people have, without grace, you start looking down your nose at them. I'm not saying you've done that, but I'm saying other people may have done that. Are you with me? The minute God becomes flesh and enters our world, he gets out there. He's literally getting out there. But we see examples of Jesus getting out there deliberately and intentionally. And when he gets out there, he's got to manage this incredible tension. Incredible tension. And it's our tension today in the 21st century. If we're serious about getting out there in any shape or form, this tension is going to be with you for forever, or at least until Jesus comes back or we die, one of the two. And it's the tension of everyone's included in this wonderful message of Jesus. Everyone's welcome at the table. But once we get to the table of welcome, there's going to be a truth conversation. And the truth conversation is a difficult one to have. And when we read John chapter 4, we see if, if ever you looked at John's gospel and you wanted to see a dynamic example of grace and truth at work, John chapter 4 really is a masterclass from Jesus on the combination of grace and truth. We're going to ask and answer two simple questions this morning from our story. Number one, question number one, what does grace look like in John 4? So if Jesus is coming to this woman in grace, I want to know what that looks like and how that helps me as a 21st century follower of Jesus. And then secondly, big question, what does truth sound like in our story? Because it's the combination of grace and truth that Jesus comes with. And it seems to be the combination of grace and truth that changes this woman's world. Does that make sense to you? And we can look at these stories and just forgive me now. We can exclude them as Jesus stories because Jesus is special. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is different. And somehow exclude ourselves from learning from Jesus. But Jesus, by reaching this woman the way he reaches him, is providing me and you with a heart and hands masterclass of what grace and truth looks like. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? Okay. So here's the first question we're going to look at. What does grace look like in our story? Well, there's three little aspects of grace I think we can see in Jesus and the way he treats the woman. First of all, first demonstration of grace. Very simple. This is, there's not rocket science here. This is all stuff many of you will know. But in demonstrating grace, Jesus, first of all, we see this. He went to where she was. Look at what it says in verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, technically, he didn't. Going from the south to the north. So the north of Israel was like Jewish community surrounded by Gentiles. The south of Israel in the day of Jesus was hardcore Jewish world. That's where the big population of the Jewish world lived. And then right in the middle, big band in the middle, in the middle of the country, was where the Samaritans lived. And if you wanted to remain a good Jewish boy and not get contaminated by those nasty Samarians... Then there was a way of going north-south, south-north without going through Samaria. You could go up the Jordan Basin. In fact, you can still do that today. 
I have driven down the Jordan Valley. So, so you can do that today. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Technically. But Jesus wanted to go through Samaria. He wanted to go through it. This is an act of grace. He is positioning himself into her world. And look at the second little reference, verse 6. It says that Jesus sat down by the well. So he didn't just go through Samaria. What is he doing? In the world of Jesus, he positions himself strategically somewhere where somebody is going to come. All right? Are you with me? So these statements, introductory statements, that he goes through Samaria and he sits at a well are not random. These are deliberately intentional, strategic ideas. Jesus went into her world because he knew she would never come to his. That's grace. You see, if you're, if you're just truth-orientated, you say to people, come over here. But if you're grace-orientated, no, no, I'll come over to you. You stay there. I'll come to you. Ladies and gentlemen, our world needs a church that will go to where they are. Not just expect them to come to where we are. Many of us have forgotten how hard it is to come through a door like that. How terrifying it can be. How scary. How intimidating. To find a seat. To be in a world that is awkward and outside of your own. But actually Jesus was a master at going into other people's world. And being comfortable in their world. And grace is going into a world beyond our own. Now, we can all do that. Every one of us can do that in one form or another. It'll look different for different people in the room. But all of us can go to somebody else's world. That's grace. Here's the second demonstration of grace. He not only went to where she was, he accepted who she was. I love this. A shocking moment culturally. The woman comes to the well and Jesus opens the conversation. He doesn't wait for her. Because if he waits for her, here's what's going to happen. She's going to ignore him. Because she's a woman, he's a man. She can work out, and probably from his rabbinic clothes, she can work out he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. There's a whole bunch of cultural barriers here. That would mean that if Jesus doesn't open the conversation, she won't. And how does he open it? Yea, verily, thou must be born againeth. No. How does he open it? You sinful, dirty woman. No. How does he open it? Can I have a drink? That, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't sound very radical. But for a Jew to share a cup with a Samaritan. Truly, truly awesome moment. It's hard for us to understand it in the 21st century world, but these two groups of people hated each other intensely. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as 
forgive my language, as mongrel nation, intermarried, intermixed ethnicity. And you can see the history of, of Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, because of the way they were looked at by others, hated them. And Jesus says to her, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? I love this. Jesus accepts the woman. And I want you to see here, he accepts her in two ways. Number one, by the request he makes to her. He needed her help. For a Jewish man to ask for the help of a Samaritan woman. It's truly shocking. And Jesus was prepared to drink from her cup. That's a sign of acceptance. Come on. It's magnificent. The second sign of acceptance is the way he protects her. Now, this is more nuanced, but work with me on this. It's a very powerful idea. He protected her. John, how on earth did he protect her? Well, he sent his disciples away. Can you imagine this woman turning up at that well with a welcoming party of 13 Jewish men? Who's going to hang around? Who's going to talk? she would have felt profoundly intimidated by a gang of Jewish men in her world. So what does Jesus do? He sends them away. Go and get some food, boys. Even though we can see later on from the story, he wasn't that hungry. He sends them away. Why? Because he doesn't want anything to get in the way of her feeling Accepted. Wow. See, I look at this Jesus and I go, I could follow him. I like him. Magnificent. He doesn't speak at her. He speaks with her. He engages with her. He accepts her. This is grace. Grace is accepting others as they are. Not as we would like them to be. Come on, somebody say amen. See, that's good news. That's great news. That's life transforming news that you don't have to become something before you engage with the grace of God. You can receive the grace of God as you are right now, where you are right now, whoever you are right now. And the Christian church must get a hold of this idea. We must have more confidence in the grace of God. We'll get to truth in a minute. Some of you are nervous because I haven't got the truth yet. We'll get to truth in a minute. But listen, grace makes way for the truth. And he reaches out to her and accepts her. Third demonstration of grace, he understood how she was. So, so we get these three, three beautiful little ideas of grace. He went where she was. Secondly, we see this idea he accepted who she was. And thirdly, he understood how she was. I don't know if you noticed the antagonism in her voice. I tried to, I tried to nuance that in, in the way that I read it to you, but, but there are two moments of antagonism. When Jesus asks for water, here's what she says. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? 
Now, it's really interesting. She's the one reminding him that he's Jewish. Why is that? Well, because she's probably at, been at the sharp end of abuse. She's probably had her backside kicked verbally because of who she is and from people like him. Right? And it's really funny. Jesus hasn't mentioned anything about her Samaritan ethnicity or his Jewishness. She's the one that reminds him, just in case you've forgotten, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. She's defensive. Why is she defensive? And Jesus doesn't react to her defensiveness. He just keeps going. And then, and then we can see in verse 12, 11 and 12, she's deeply skeptical. He offers her this living water and she says this, uh, you have nothing to draw water with in the well this deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who do you, in other words, who do you think you are? She is defensive and she is skeptical, but Jesus understood why she was like that. And he doesn't bite. He doesn't bite on her defensiveness. He doesn't bite on her skeptical reaction. Why? Because this was a woman in pain. This was a woman carrying pain. How do we, how do we sort of know that? Well, she's drawing water from a well at 12 in the afternoon in the Middle East. This is the worst time in the world to draw water. No one in their right mind would draw water. And secondly, and I've done a bit of research for you on this, Sychar was approximately a mile from the well. So she has walked a mile, roughly, to get to a well in the heat of the Middle Eastern sun. Any wonder she was a bit prickly. Here's what sometimes we do as followers of Jesus. We react to the prickliness of our world. We react to their defensiveness. We react to their skepticism. Listen, I'm amazed people aren't more defensive. I'm amazed our world isn't more skeptical of religion and God and people like me. I'm amazed they're not more antagonistic towards us. It doesn't shock me and it shouldn't shock you. And don't let the defensiveness of the world and the skepticalness of the world put you off. Grace just gets it. Grace understands some people are going to get a bit edgy with this conversation. But we don't judge them because of the edginess and we don't reject them because of the edginess. Grace just keeps going. Come on. It's marvelous. It's marvelous. Let me say this to you. I hope you hear this carefully, and I want you to hear this carefully. And this is very, very important for us. Grace never excludes truth, but it gives truth a chance to be heard. Grace never compromises truth but it can change the way truth is heard. Think about that. I want you to think about that. Grace will never compromise truth, but your approach to people and your reaction to people will determine the way they hear your truth. That's what's going on here. She's all bluster and pushback. And Jesus just keeps calm. 
and carries on. Doesn't flinch, doesn't move, doesn't run, doesn't take the bait. Doesn't react to her reaction. Because grace understands that. Grace understands we're in a world of pain. And sometimes even when you offer people living water, they go, yeah, right. Pull the other one. And that's grace. What is grace? Grace went to where she was. Grace accepted who she was. Grace understood how she was. You with me? But what about truth? What does truth sound like in this story? Let's bring these two ideas together. Again, three simple ideas that will help us as we draw this to a conclusion. Truth, truth in the story here, extends an offer of something better. Look at this, verse 10, it says, Jesus says to her, because she's, she, we're getting into the water illustration now, and Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He just drops that in. He, he adds living to the water. Had he just said water, then the woman would have been really deeply confused, but he throws in living water. Why? Because the truth of the good news is not about offering something different, but something better. Come on now. Someone needs to hear that in the room. Listen to me. We're not offering something different. We're offering through Jesus something better. Now in our world out there, we're one voice amongst millions. So it sounds like we're just a different voice. And I get that absolutely. But from in here, from, from within a Jesus community, we're not offering something different to someone. Oh, okay. well, there's, there's Coca-Cola or there's Dr. Pepper, right? We're not offering them a different option. We're offering them a better option. That's what truth does. And that's where we, you and I need to have confidence in the truth. The truth is not just about saying, well, yeah, I, you know, this is what happened to me and this is my story. And, it's, and people go, well, that's good for you. But actually truth, is, and people go, well, that's good for you. But actually truth is about saying, actually, this is not just a different way to live. This is a better way to live. What we have together as followers of Jesus is better. Truth will always get people to something better. Our motivation in sharing truth is getting people to something better. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Here's the second aspect of truth within the story. Truth acknowledges something was broken. So verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, go and get your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. Here's what Jesus says. You are right when you say you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with is your living lover. And she responds by saying, I perceive you are a prophet. He read her meal. Now look at this. This, listen, this is really, really important. How Jesus drops this challenge is the $64 million moment of the story. This is the tipping point moment. If Jesus drops this in a way that the woman reacts to aggressively, then she could either aggressively go at him or passively 
move away from him. She could say, stuff you, I'm off. I'm not going to be lectured by an uppity rabbi about my morality. I'm off. Somehow Jesus drops one of the most profound moments in her life. He puts his finger right on the pulse of her sin. And she doesn't run away. Think about that. Remember, it's a Jew speaking to a Samaritan. It's a man speaking to a woman. It's a religious man speaking to a sinful woman. And yet he drops the truth in such a way that she doesn't run. She stares. Now, I would submit to you that it's not just what Jesus is saying to her. It's the way Jesus has said that to her. And it's not just this idea of the truth that he's dropped. He's already built the world of grace before her. I, I was speaking to someone recently. He got very, very aggressive with me. A follower of Jesus got very, very aggressive with me when I was trying to talk about the grace of God. And, and I always get nervous about people when this is their sort of argument. He said to me, no, no, we need to tell people they're sinners and they're going to hell. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Now, he said that with a level of relish, which really disturbed me ever so slightly. Um, but he said, no, no, you have to tell people they're sinners and they're going to hell. I said, absolutely, but it doesn't need to be the first thing you say. Come on. Had Jesus not extended grace, he would never have had the chance to drop the hammer on our morality. Had he started with, hey, you, woman, sinful woman. Dirty, filthy woman. Woman who's had five husbands and the man you're living with is, is now your live-in lover. You scandalous woman, you. Any wonder you're on your own drawn well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. No mates. All of that was true. And he eventually got to that. But somehow when he got to the truth, she did not run away. Why? Because grace came before the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, listen. Some of us just want to get to the truth really, really quickly. And I want to get to the truth. And we've been trying to go on a journey of truth conversation, even in our Monday nights. And it's, it's not always easy. And it's, it's not always clear in terms of some of the things we're trying to achieve. We can get to the truth of sin in a person's life. And we can get to the truth of the brokenness and the dysfunction that that sin creates. But it often doesn't have to be the first thing you talk about. Remember, the woman at the well wasn't just a sinner. She was a person with feelings and emotions. And I would suspect with five husbands, we're suspecting five divorces and a live-in lover. I reckon there's a whole bucket load of abuse in her history. So the last thing she needs is a lecture. Truth is not a lecture. You still love me? And Jesus got to the truth. Truth will confront sin. True, truth conversation will eventually get to the sin issue. Truth will confront someone's brokenness. Truth will confront someone's dysfunction. But it's not necessarily the first thing you talk about over coffee. Maybe we follow the example of Jesus who connects to her with grace and then drops the truth at the appropriate moment. This woman literally goes away. And it's really funny. It's a funny bit in the story. She goes back to the village a mile down the road, goes to the village. And what's her opening line? 
come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. She's actually, her message is the fact that he exposed her. He, he blew the lid off her secrets. He blew the lid off her immoral life. He blew the lid off her sin. He blew the lid off her dysfunction. And she's saying, come and meet the guy who blew the lid off all that. And people from the village follow her a mile up the road to meet the guy that blew the lid off her life. Jesus didn't just hit her with the truth. Jesus preceded the truth with grace. And then by the time he got to the difficult conversation, somehow she heard the truth with a tone of grace. You with me? Does that make sense to you? Maybe, and this is a challenge to us all, to me, maybe if we made friends before we tried to make converts, it might help. That's, that's what Jesus seems to be doing. Let's make a connection before I try to make a convert. Not always possible, of course. But it's worth doing. Here's the last thing, and we're done. We'll draw this to a close. Truth is seen by the invitation to someone greater. Look at verse 26. And this is remarkable in the Gospel of John. Yeah, band, if you want to come and get ready. Sorry, saw you moving. Thank you. Thought you were walking out on me, but you're not. Thank you for your grace in not walking out on me. Look at this. He says in verse 26, I who speak to you, literally reads, I am he. There's a double emphasis on the I. You could literally read that. I, I am he. The one who speaks to you, I am he. Now, anyone who's read the Gospel of John, that's a big moment. Because in the Gospel of John, as we've reflected on before in our, in our Sunday mornings, Jesus describes himself seven times explicitly as an I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of heaven. I am the vine the true vine. And here he says to her, the one who's speaking to you now, I am he. I am the Messiah you're waiting for. Now here's a remarkable thing about John's gospel. The first person to know that Jesus is the Messiah in John's gospel from the lips of Jesus is a sinful Samaritan woman. From the lips of Jesus. It's remarkable. Ultimately, our truth conversation is not about winning an argument. Now, arguments are important, and I like an argument, as you might know, being an Ulsterman. I like arguments, but it's not about winning an argument. Truth here is about getting people to Jesus. Let's <clears throat> get Jesus in front of people. People say, United Kingdom's rejecting Jesus. I disagree entirely. I don't believe the United Kingdom is rejecting Jesus. Most people in the United Kingdom haven't met Jesus yet to actually reject him. They haven't met this Jesus, this one, the Luke, the John 4 one. They haven't met him yet. And I have a theory, if more people met that Jesus, <clears throat> less people would reject him. Well, how are they going to meet that Jesus? Me and you. Well, how's that going to happen? Grace and truth. 
The confidence in the truth that we could sit at someone else's well and the confidence that the truth we're trying to communicate is not just who's right and who's wrong. And there's a place for that conversation. Of course there is. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But the truth we're trying to get them to is this amazing person. We're wanting to introduce them to someone greater. And some of us are so intent on trying to win an argument that the argument's getting in the way of him. That's why I love Alpha. Alpha is this great big funnel that allows a big, messy community to eat dinner together. And there's all sorts of messy conversations and messy questions and messy people. And you're allowed to be messy. You don't have to be perfect to get to Alpha. You don't have to have ticked a few boxes before you get to You can be dysfunction city and sit at Alpha because the whole point is not to win an argument on week one. The whole point is around the table you meet. Grace and truth. Around the table, you start to engage with people who look and sound like this. And then people go on a journey of life. It is the truth about Jesus that changes people. I said to Mike at the beginning of our service, everybody's got a story, but only a few have a Jesus story. And actually what changes people is not my my intellectual arguments and apologetics. What changes people is an encounter with him. Someone greater. Grace makes a way. But truth about him makes the change. Your grace makes the way. And if our grace can just get our world a little bit closer to this Jesus... We give him a chance to make the change. Are you with me? Grace, what does it look like in our story? Jesus went to where she was. Jesus accepted who she was and Jesus understood how she was. What does truth sound like in our story? The offer of something better, not just different. An acknowledgement, genuine, that something is broken. And that will be a conversation we have to get to at some point. But an invitation to something or someone greater. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, as we draw this to a close. Grace never excludes truth. But it gives truth the chance to be heard. Your generosity will give truth the chance to be heard. Grace never compromises truth, but it can change the way truth is heard. And grace makes a way, but truth about him makes the change. Jesus came full of grace and truth. I don't know about you, want to be like that I just don't want I don't want to just be smart I want to be compassionate gracious generous I want to be a person that somehow allows my world to get close to the person we've been worshipping this morning, the person who's changed our lives. 
person who's changed my destiny. I want my neighbors and my friends and the people who wouldn't be neighbors or friends. And I might not even want them as my neighbors or friends. But I want them to experience the grace and truth of Jesus. And you and I, as we get out there, that can be part of our journey. Supporting each other, helping each other to position ourselves in someone else's world and allowing Jesus to enter their world. Amen? If you can, will you stand with me? The band are going to lead us in a a beautiful song as they've led us so well already. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Not just grace. That's a disaster. But grace and truth. Not just truth. That becomes impossible for women like this woman to make her way to life. But grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. We want to be a church full of grace and truth. Want to be individuals full of grace and truth. Whatever well we sit at, whatever world we walk in, whoever we rub shoulders with, that we would be people full of grace and truth. So Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray for this community of the bridge, a community that declares everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything's possible. Lord, in this story, we literally see these truths live. She was welcome. She was anything but perfect. But by the end of that day, she was a different person. Transformed by grace and truth. Lord, in a world that is broken, in a world that is anxious, in a world that is lost, will you help us to be a community of grace and truth? Lord, for each of us as individuals, some of us live and work in very, very difficult environments. Will you help us to be men and women of grace and truth? And Lord Jesus, as we go from this place to whatever our world looks like, will you help us, Lord, even to journey beyond our world into someone else's world and live a life of grace and truth? Lord, we want to get out there, but we want to get out there full of grace. And we want to get out there confident in the truth. And we want your name to be glorified in us and through us. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you, the one who came full of grace and truth, that with you we would go full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.